Take your Bibles, if you would, this morning and turn to the Gospel of Luke. And we are in chapter 5, continuing our study. I don't know how far we'll get today. I actually have a three-point outline. That's unusual. Normally, I don't do that. But I was feeling kind of like I needed a three-point outline this week. And uh, also, it was a good way for uh, uh, me to put my kids uh, in their room doing something, and I could have a little peace and quiet. <laughs> yeah. No, I tell you, by the way, the ladies' retreat, for the, for the ladies, that God bless you, those ladies that didn't get to go, I understand you missed out on a heyday. I heard they had a blast. And uh, so we were up late last night, my wife and I, and she was giving me all the details. In fact, those ladies that went, you can appreciate this. Those that didn't, you probably won't have a clue what I'm talking about. But I was so tempted, and I wish I would have done this, but I was tempted to, at this moment, click onto the screen and have an awkward family photo up, uh, just for some of you. I'm waiting on our film to be developed, though maybe I'll have some pictures of you ladies whenever. uh... So anyway, those wouldn't be too awkward. They had a good time. Uh, again, guys, the bar's been set high. We're going to have to plan ourselves a little retreat. But Holton's already brought up the point that we couldn't do each other's hair. At least I couldn't do his. So. <laughs> Holton knows better than tell me anything. <laughs> All right, let's, uh, let's look in Luke 5. You'll remember um, last time we spoke of the leper that uh, Christ healed. And he had told him specifically, uh, uh, you know, not to tell anyone. And did he listen? No, he didn't. He went and spread the word everywhere. And uh, in fact, the scriptures that we looked at last time said that in some ways this caused a problem. Because now Jesus, who was, had the, um, uh, was, normally would go into the cities, and where would he go initially when he would go in? We saw this in, in, in Galilee. He would go into the synagogue. Well, now, because this information is spreading, what Jesus has been doing uh, through various miracles, uh, casting out of demons, um, healing uh, the leper, healing the sick, uh, these things, the, the word is spreading. So now, because of this man's choice to disobey what God had told him, he is now uh, prevented from going into the city and operating freely like he once did. And I think that's important for us to note. Now, I've got my own uh, thoughts in regards to that. Um, God's will is going to be accomplished no matter what. But I think personally there's a little lesson even in this that sometimes choices obviously affect things. Uh, I've always said, I want to be that Christian that's used by God. But you know what? If I choose to disobey God, I believe God will use another Christian to carry out his same will, but he desired to do it in my life, but because of my disobedience, because of my quenching the spirit, he allows another person to again carry out his will. Bottom line is, his will is still accomplished. Just because this man disobeyed and now he's not able to walk and talk freely and go into the synagogues like he used to do and preach and teach, that doesn't mean by any stretch of the imagination that his plan has been thwarted or changed. It's all part of God's sovereign plan. Um, and that's the, that's the amazing thing about God working His will out in the circumstances of life. His will will be done. So, um, that's what's taken place. And now we find in Luke chapter 5, let's begin our reading today in verse uh, 
16. We ended with this one last time, but let's pick up from there. Luke 5, 16. So he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Verse 17. Now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching of the law, uh, as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him in, because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said to him, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, He answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise up and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house immediately. He rose up before them, took up what he had been lying on, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed. And they glorified God and were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things today. Father, Lord, I pray, I ask for your Holy Spirit to lead and guide Lord, I ask for your anointing to preach and teach your word, your truth this morning. And so, Lord, I ask that you have your will and your way here in these services. May we be receptive to the Spirit of God and the truth of God. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> um, today's sermon Today's sermon is titled, Hindered, Helped, and Healed. And that's actually my three-point outline. These are the things I want to look at here in the text. Hindered, helped, and healed. It's interesting because uh, we, we see from the get-go that um, there's a hindrance in place. There's actually a number of hindrances, and, and I want to look at what these hindrances are. Uh, notice this paralytic man. And, and again, this is one of those stories where we've heard it told many times. We, we've seen uh, illustrations of it from children's church on up. If you have grew up in a church, you, you've watched any movie about the life of Christ, you've seen this played out. And, and uh, this is one of those stories that we're very familiar with. And we think about, here is this man who is a, a paralytic, and he's brought to Jesus. But I think about what were some things that were hindering this event. Notice the first hindrance. It was this physical limitation. 
He was paralyzed. Uh, he could not walk. He was bedridden. This man was, had been sick upon his bed, and we're not sure exactly what his sickness was. Um, could have been a number of illnesses, a number of things that left him as a paraplegic. But that was one thing that kept him from just getting up and going. And I can imagine, and some of you, you, you have family members that you tend to and, and, and uh, are bedridden, and you understand this, you've been through this, and, and I can imagine a tough situation, uh, what that would be like. And yet here's a man, we're not, not sure of his age and, and exactly, um, again, what he had encountered. But I, I find this interesting. MacArthur had a thought on this. And again, I, I'm not endorsing saying this is exactly what was taking place, but culturally, historically, I think it's a possibility. Listen, listen to this. Whenever you study the New Testament, people who have an illness are described as to their symptoms. How was this man referred to? Notice the text. It says that they uh, brought a man who was paralyzed. When you read Scripture, oftentimes it's described as to their symptoms. They're not described as to their pathology. When we talk about people, we don't do that anymore. They used to say, we used to talk about crippled people or talk about handicapped people. We tend now to talk about uh, a person in a clinical way. The person had polio. Or this person had muscular dystrophy. Or multiple sclerosis. Or a person had a spinal cord injury. We are a little more clinical and a little more pathological. Where in ancient times, before they knew all that pathology, they would describe a person's illness with regard to the symptoms. And so here is a man who is paralyzed. It could have been a form of muscular dystrophy, some kind of progressive thing, or it could have been a result of some spinal cord injury. It could have been a defect, some genetic defect. It is also very possible that this could have been caused by syphilis, which had this effect, a venereal disease that caused forms of paralysis in ancient times. People who were in this condition were generally left out of society. They weren't like lepers in that they had a highly communicable disease such as leprosy, which with such vividly deadly effects disastrously manifest in the physical form of the face and the extremities of the leprosy victim. And so they were allowed of course, into society. But they were stigmatized. This man bore a social stigma that would have alienated him, made him somewhat of an outcast, and he would have been typically shunned. And people tended, super sort of pious people, to think that people like that were like that because of some sin. Remember in John 9 when they went to Jesus about the man who was born blind, and they said, who sinned, this man or his parents? Jesus said, nobody sinned. This is an illness for the glory of God. But they always felt that in their self-righteousness, 
people who were physically diseased or injured perhaps were simply bearing the consequences of their sin. So he would have been somewhat of a social outcast, John MacArthur. Again, we don't know exactly why this man was paralyzed. Again, historically, this is evidential what MacArthur presented from a historical standpoint. This would have, you know, again, not having the medical understandings that we have today is a possibility. But this is the point. His physical limitation was a hindrance in the sense that he couldn't just freely go like everyone else was going to hear and see Jesus. But you know what? The text reveals to us that he was hindered also by something else. He was also hindered by the crowds. Notice they wouldn't move to let him in. Uh, it happened on a certain day. He was teaching that there were Pharisees and, and these teachers of the law sitting by who came out of every town of Galilee. See, here we got folks coming from everywhere. Jesus is there. Jesus is there. They're coming from everywhere. This man couldn't just up and go. And then notice that the power of the Lord was present to heal them. That's an important note. I want you to underline that. The power of the Lord was present to heal them. Luke has been really good about pointing this phrase out. I don't know if you've picked up on that in our study. But periodically you will see that the Spirit of the Lord was present to bring healing. But Jesus is God. Isn't He able to heal? Well, remember when Christ came, He emptied Himself. So that He was here on a mission to do the will of the Father. Not self-willed. When you see these healings taking place as recorded in Scripture, guys, this isn't like you see on TV today. We're having a healing service. Woo! It's all about the healing. No. Be very careful of those type things. Jesus was submissive to the will of the Father. And if there's a healing to take place, it is in the will of the Father. And that's why Luke is quick to point out here through the Holy Spirit inspiring him to write that the Spirit of the Lord was present to heal. Because something's going to take place that is going to draw people's attention to the glory of the Father. To also substantiate the claims of who Christ is. And if we look at this text closely... This wasn't a gathering for healing miracles. Come get your miracle type event. This was a teaching event, which is another thing that I believe is important for us to understand. Uh, Luke has done a great job of pointing, uh, and pointing out this is significant in the ministry of Jesus Christ. But notice that uh, he was hindered by the crowd. Verse 19, And when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up to the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling. Now again, in those days, and by the way, this was probably a large home. You've got a lot of folks gathered at this location. 
Um, they've come from, a, by the way, it's a hyperbole. You don't take it literal that everybody from every city, from everywhere came. You know what I'm saying? Um, this was, there were no doubt people coming from all across the, the area. And we're going to take a look at some of these characters a little more fine-tuned here in just a moment. But no doubt this was a large home. Now, whether this was a home that somebody had rented, somebody had opened up, someone had allowed them to come in, again, we don't know. It's not necessarily important. But just know that even archaeological digs that have been discovered that date back to this time give description of this type of housing that would have been a flat roof, that would have had tiling in place, that would have been easy to remove. But it was also known that a lot of times that second story was used to gather on, to sit on, to go up on. It was not uncommon in those days for people to gather up onto the roof area. It's like a patio, if you will. There was a stairwell that would have been probably on the outside. And again, this is supported by a lot of the archaeological finds where they find homes and remains of homes that would have been uh, of such that Luke reports. And so, here's this crowd of people. And you can just imagine. Here are these four men carrying this sick guy. And they get to where the house is. And there's this mass mob of people all packed into the church, into the, I'm sorry, into the house there. Because, think about it. When this, how, do, how do we gather into a crowd? We don't all sit around, do we? We all kind of stand and kind of mob in as tight as we can. We kind of pack in to see what's going on over there. Everybody's trying to look and see. Because what have we learned so far in our Luke study? The teacher sits when he teaches, right? Hang on to that in a minute. But here they are probably all crowding in. And here come these four men with this paralytic. And they can't, excuse us, excuse us. Shh, shh. What are you doing? Get on, get on, go, go, ah. Because, again, here's a social outcast. This man has a sickness. You know, the mentality, and we see it in Jesus' disciples' own words. In another passage, who sinned, this man or his parents? So see, it was a common pious understanding that if you were like that, then God's hand of judgment must be on you. You must have sinned. That's why Jesus' ministry is so radical when he's going to the sick and he's going to the poor. He's not going to those Pharisees who were the teachers who had on the fancy outfits and who were the rich people because again like a lot of faulty teaching in today's society that if you're not prosperous then God's favor must not be upon you. That was the same type of mentality that surrounded these Pharisees. And so here's this group of of vagabonds trying to bring in this sick man. Shh, go, no, no, go on. Don't bother the rabbi and people crowding to see. These men are determined. So they find another means. But at first they were hindered. They were first hindered. He was hindered by his physical limitations. It was also hindered by the crowd. You know, it's interesting. In every crowd, and I assume still the case here even this morning, it's been said that whenever there's a crowd, there seems to be seekers, spectators, and spies. Some were gathered out of curiosity. There were a certain group of people who would come there because they were there to check out this situation. Who is this guy? Who is this one who dares to teach and 
gather together disciples to follow him. Well, that brings up my next hindrance. Religious people. There were some religious people here gathered in this crowd. Notice what the Bible says about them. It happened, verse 17, on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting. Hmm. Yeah, Jesus wasn't the only one there to teach that day. These Pharisees were there to teach. These teachers of the law, which by the way, that would be, uh, these were the Ph.D. Pharisees, all right? These were, these were the, uh, that's what these guys were. These were their professors, if you will. Um, let me give you some background description uh, in regards to who these people are. The word Pharisee, and these are going to be common words, so I'm going to go ahead and define several of them so that you will know as we go through the Lucan study that you'll be able to, as you see these names and references, you'll kind of get a, an idea of what, who they are and what they do. The word Pharisee, comes from the Hebrew term parash, which means to separate. They were the separated brethren, the separated ones. They were separated to the law. To God, they thought. To righteousness, supposedly. They disdained anything that in their minds violated that separation. Now, they would have also been known in their day as the men of the book, the men of the scroll. These guys were supposed to know the Word of God. They were supposed to know it through and through. And they were very quick, uh, supposed to be, to point out every little jot and tittle. They probably were birthed sometime around the uh, time of Ezra. And of course... Somewhere along the way, their traditions begin to trump truth. And so now you have these Pharisees. We also, uh, not necessarily in this passage, but we also come across the Sadducees. Now those were the religious liberals. Alright, they denied the resurrection. They denied the existence of angels and demons. They tended to be the power brokers, if you will. They were among the chief priests and the high priests. Uh, that, that, those would have been like the Sadducees. They, they also were considered the political branch, at least in terms of having the power. The rich, the political, the affluent type, typically would have been Sadducees. There was also a group known as the uh, Essenes, which was another sect of Judaism at the time of Jesus, and they were the monkish monastics. They were the ones who didn't want anything to do with the establishment. They would typically wear simple clothes, they ate simple food, and lived out by the desert. They were the anti-establishment group. They were the ones, by the way, who copied down the scriptures which were found later, uh, 1948 Dead Sea Scrolls. That would have been the Essenes. And there was another group known as the Zealots. And the Zealots were the nationalistic ones. They liked to uh, sneak up on the Romans and stab them. Yes, indeed. 
So you had all these types of peoples, all this type of religious groups operating during this time. And I think it's important for us to kind of get a, uh, an understanding of that because now we see these religious men, these Pharisees, these teachers of the law gathered there and it says that they were sitting I believe some of them were sitting because, again, that was understood as the teaching. The the teacher sat when he taught. And they were no doubt trying to teach some of these other Pharisees that what Jesus was doing was wrong. And they were waiting to hear him, to trap him. And you see this all through the New Testament where they tried to lay traps to trip him up, to get him to say something so they could bring a charge against him. So they were there with pencil in hand, taking notes, ready to catch him. No doubt these things very well for this paralytic man posed hindrance. I mean, can you imagine your him? Imagine for a moment his sickness, perhaps it was due to a sinful choice. What if perhaps he had chosen... And as a result of his choice, it resulted in his paralyzation. That's possible. And can you imagine if you were that man and your friends want to take you to this Jesus, this man whose reputation is spread throughout Galilee, that could this be the Messiah? Is this God in the flesh? He's doing miracles. We've heard about how He's done this and He's done that. And Johnny, they can, He can help you. He can heal you. We've got to take Johnny. He's our friend. We care about our friend. And I would imagine if, if that was Johnny's case, my guilt, my shame, Those things would have, I know, probably hindered me. They hindered me for 25 years. Some of your guilt and shame hindered you from coming to Christ. Some of you very well may be sitting here this morning and that's a hindrance to you today from coming to Christ. Can I encourage you that just like his physical um, limitations need not be a hindrance. Just like the crowd, and by the way, some of you, the crowd's keeping you from coming to Christ. Don't let any of those things, nor your guilt, nor your shame, hinder you from coming to Christ. Whether it be for salvation, for healing... Or whether it be you are a believer and there's something that you've done. Don't let that keep you. Don't let that lie of the enemy hinder you from humbling yourself and coming to the feet of Jesus Christ. This man very well may have been hindered But he was also helped. He was 
help. Notice verses 18 and 20. Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. Boy, isn't it great? Isn't it great when you've got people around you who are friends and want to help? We all need helpers, don't we? This guy, no doubt, had some, some friends, some folks that were willing to help. They brought him, verse 18. They sought him, verse 18. You know, look. We don't find in the New Testament, the church, the church is designed for believers. It's not for unbelievers. But we can even look here and I can, there's some great teachable lessons right here just in this thought. Think about it with me for a second. There's somebody out there in your world, somebody out there in your circle that you need to bring to Jesus. And these guys sought out. You need to probably seek out who it is God wants you to bring to Him. Who is that? Who is it? Who is it God's got in your circle of influence? You, you know they're not a believer. You know they don't have saving faith. Let God burden your heart. Because these men not only cared enough to put this man on a bed and pick it up and towed it there, They didn't let his physical limitation keep them from going. They also didn't allow the crowd to keep them back. They brought, they sought, and they even fought. How's that for three rhymes? (laughs) Anyway. Think about it. They pulled off the tile. They, They got up there and they started digging a hole. Can you imagine what that scene must have been like? Jesus is up there teaching. And so Isaiah, the prophet, you know, you know, people, I don't know if Jesus did that, but I'm sure everybody else is doing that. I mean, you know there's some straw and some dust and, and all kinds of because these mud houses. and I mean, what in the world? And so I can just see people clearing out. Is something getting ready to fall in? And all of a sudden they lower this guy down from the roof at the feet of Jesus. Whew. Wow. Hey, guys, that's where we want to be. We want to be at the feet of Jesus. He was hindered, but he was helped. Let me ask you a question, because I wonder this. What's more important? A roof or a man's soul? That's an easy answer with the lip or the lips because I think most of you have two. But what's really more important? A roof or a man's soul? You know, sometimes we get a little more concerned about this place than the soul of man. That's not good. Now look, I don't know, I I imagine these guys probably came back and did some patchwork on that roof. 
But don't miss what I'm saying here, guys. The church is not a building. We're learning this on Wednesday nights. You need to be here. I'm telling you, you need to be here. We got books, by the way. Stop by Brittany's office. She'll be there. Books on the way out if you want a Wednesday night book. We'll get you hooked up. Read chapter 1 and 2. We're talking about this. The church is not these four walls. You're the church. I'm the church. We are the church. And we sure better be more concerned with the soul of man than the facilities. Now, that's not to say you neglect the facilities. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But I can assure you, if you want to bring somebody down here and tear a hole in the roof to get them down to the front row because they need Jesus Christ and they receive Jesus Christ, I ain't going to be mad at you. (laughs) Somebody else may come talk to you later, but anyway. (laughs) These guys were more concerned with the soul of their friend than anything else going on. And they didn't care what those hindrances were. They knew they needed to help this man because they knew Jesus Christ had the ability to help him. I'm going to save my third point. I'm going to close out right here because there's so much more that can be said and we will say, Lord willing, about how not only did these, uh, this man was he hindered in so many ways, he was also helped and, and we'll pick up from that point how he was helped because there's some more, more stuff that, that can be said there. And then we'll look at the last point and how he was healed. Because if you read this passage, I encourage you to meditate on it this week. The first thing that Jesus does is not healing. He forgives him. And in doing so, he received the greatest healing he could ever receive. Guys, forgiveness is where we're going to finish on this topic. And let me just say, that is the place we need to be. At the feet of Jesus with forgiveness in our heart. And he's offering it, and he's willing to give you that today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the time this morning. Lord, I pray that some simple truths that are shared today would just encourage us. Lord, a familiar passage of Scripture but Lord, a timely one that we need to visit today. Maybe somebody's here this morning, Lord, and, and, and they're being hindered. Could be the crowd. Could be the, 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 just themselves. They're, they're holding themselves back from believing your promises and trusting what you've said. Maybe it's the crowd. Maybe they're, they're ashamed. They, they, they don't want to go against the grain or they're afraid, afraid of what others might think. If they really, really humbled themselves and got on board with Christ. Father, maybe it's, maybe it's the religious. Maybe those of us who profess Christ, maybe we're a hindrance to people coming to know Him. Lord, forgive us. Help us to get out of the way. Father, you know every heart here. And I pray you search it. And Lord, I pray that the comforter would be the helper needed. We know no one can come to the Father unless they're drawn. 
Lord, will you draw people to yourself today? Maybe it's just a drawing of confession. Maybe it's a drawing of asking for forgiveness. Maybe someone has backslidden, someone has stumbled. Lord, you know every circumstance. You know every situation. You know every thought that haunts people here on these pews. Lord, we give that to you. And Lord, we lay as if we can do nothing at the feet of Jesus. Because we can't. Have mercy. Forgive us, Lord. Heal us. Help us, Lord. That we too will stand and walk for Christ. Thank you for this group. And Lord, I trust that hearts are being open to you even now. Have your will and way in each of us. We ask it in the name above every name, giving you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.